very different uh, how we go about this evening. Typically, uh, I, you know, I have been taught to do this, and, and uh, I believe it to be the right way to teach and preach always, uh, to bring every message to a point of decision, and for all of us to be confronted with the scriptures, myself included, uh, with how God would have us to grow in our lives. It's not very often that I like to just kind of give informational services. But there is a lot going on in Israel right now, and a lot is being said about what is going on over there, and there is a lot of misinformation that is taking place. And so I just want us to look at this thing from a biblical perspective and study it according to the Word of God. And so let's do this. Uh, let's look at Gen. I said Genesis chapter 15. Turn back a few pages. Look at Genesis chapter number 12, if you would please. Genesis chapter number 12. We'll begin here and then we'll be seated. Genesis chapter number 12, and let's look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a what? A land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be what? Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts this evening. Help us as we consider this Israel and Palestine conflict. Israel and Hamas, technically, is what's going on over there. Lord, I pray that you would protect your people. I beg you, please, that you would perform miracles in the midst of battle. Help the innocent. Lord, I pray that you would place a hedge of protection, a miraculous hedge, around your people. Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to the commanders, the generals, those that are making decisions, to Prime Minister Netanyahu. I pray that you would give wisdom and discernment to the nations, although we know where much of this is headed. I pray that you would give wisdom and discernment to America's leaders to stand with Israel. And Lord, I pray that if any of our leaders would do anything to hinder or harm Israel, that you would disappoint their purposes and plans and stop them from taking place. I pray that you would speak to our hearts this evening, please, and help us to understand this matter better. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. I want us to look again at verse number 3. The Bible says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be what? Be blessed. Now this is brought back up in the book of Hebrews and in other places. Uh, actually, I think it's the book of Hebrews. But anyway, it's brought back up in other places in the New Testament where we are taught that the reason why that statement is made that in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed is because God is, is, is prophesying that through Abraham, would, through his seed would come the Messiah, and that because Jesus Christ would come from the Jewish nation and, and from uh, Abraham's lineage, that all of the nations of the world would be blessed because all of us would be able to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that as Gentiles, that we would be grafted into the family of Abraham and made a part of God's family. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. God promised us that we could be part, literally He uses the term sons of God, part of His family by belief and faith in Jesus Christ His Son. So, if you believe on Jesus Christ, you get grafted into the family of Abraham. And that is described to us in many places. And so I believe it is in the book of Hebrews. It's said to us, any of you preachers remember this, uh, uh, but it is said there, I believe, that, uh, that by Abraham's seed then, uh, then of course comes the Messiah, and then through the, the Messiah, as we believe on Him, that we are grafted in. So, uh, we see that, that our blessing as a people comes through Abraham's seed. And we have to start here, because we need to understand that there is no room in any Christian ranks for any believer to be anti-Israel. It, it, there is no room for it. 
Unfortunately, some in the Catholic ranks end up being very anti-Semitist. That, that term itself is a very interesting term, anti-Semitist. Do you know where anti-Semite comes from? Do you know where that term comes from? The word anti-Semite comes from the term anti-Shemite. There were three sons of Noah. Who were they? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Are you with me? Okay, uh, let's look at it in, is that chapter 10? Uh, no, look at, um, yes, chapter 10, verse number 1. Genesis chapter 10, verse number 1. So the Bible says in verse number 1, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and what? Japheth. Unto them were sons born after the flood. Now, generally speaking, now this, this, you, can, you can start major wildfires in theological ranks if you start saying some of the things that I'm about to say, but... I believe biblically and historically, when you look at maps of the earth and how this all worked out, this is generally what you're looking at. Okay, now, generally speaking, the three sons of Noah that God dispersed and told them to replenish the entire earth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, generally speaking, the lineage of Shem is the Jewish people. Are you with me? So when the world uses terms like anti-Semite, they're actually saying anti-Shemite. They just don't even realize that they're using a biblical term. There are non-believers that say you're anti-Semitic. They don't even believe the Bible, but they're using a Bible term. Over time, anti-Shemitic turned into anti-Semitic. They are acknowledging that for the most part, the Jewish race came from Shem. Are you with me? Now, Ham, on the other, on the other hand is largely the African race. Egypt and Africa and those regions of the world. Right? And then Japheth is largely, largely the European race, the, the, the white race, if you will, uh, that, that uh, the Bible tells us when we look at Japheth's lineage uh, that they made up the Isles of the Gentiles. Are you with me? Now, obviously there are, there are other colors, if you will, other, other nationalities throughout the world that are largely, I believe, mixes of these three sons. Are you with me? Okay. Now, obviously, all of this comes back to, is it in the book of Acts? I think it's in the book of Acts where God says that we are all of one blood. So, who is that one blood that we are all from? You go back to, well, yes, actually, yes. I will say yes to that. Um, you can go back to Noah, because out of him came three sons, but you can actually all, go all the way back to Adam as well, right? So Adam or Noah, however you want to look at it. So these three sons are told to populate the entire earth now, and, and to replenish the earth. Now, we get over there to Genesis chapter 12 again, and we see that the lineage of Abraham is the one that will bless the entire earth. Now, notice what is said in verse number 3 again. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. You see that? So, God gives a mandate to all mankind. And He tells Abraham, look, anybody that blesses you, I will bless them. Anybody that curses you, I will curse them. Just generally speaking, all throughout history, when a people has come against God's people, God has come against them. Now, there have been times when, and, and, and it's hard to go into all this, but there have been times when God allowed people to judge His people because they walked away from Him. Just read the book of Judges and you see that everywhere, right? So there are times that God allowed His people to go into captivity, to be conquered. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was one of those tools that was used to conquer Israel because of their constant rebellion against God. We also see that Titus, a Roman uh, general, or emperor, I think he was the Roman general, Titus in about 8070 conquered Jerusalem, and God had His people overthrown at that time as well. It happens. God has judged His people all through history uh, with those means. But generally speaking, throughout history, when people turn against Israel... God turns against them. He promised that all the way back with Abraham before he ever made a nation out of them. He said, if somebody blesses you, I will bless them. If somebody curses you, I will curse them. It has been one of the greatest things that America has ever done that I believe has kept God's hand of blessing on America in spite of many of our wickednesses because we have been a friend to Israel. And I'll be honest with you, the whole response by Biden has surprised me. I'm a little confused about how quickly he responded by sending um, 
aircraft carriers and so on over to the Mediterranean. I, I did not see that coming. Now, at the same time, I think it's interesting that he took a trip to Israel right about the time that Netanyahu was ramping up his attack against Gaza. I don't know if there's anything to that. We can't, we can't follow those rabbit holes too deep because who knows? The timing of that I thought was odd. But nonetheless, he has come out in support for Israel a lot more than I expected him to do. And I don't, I don't know what's behind all that. I hate to think that there's something behind it, but I just kind of think there's something behind it. But anyway, um, many of these liberals, he's from the Obama, he's from the Obama way of thinking. Obama went around the world apologizing for all of the actions of America and tried everything in his power to tell everybody that the nation of Islam was a peaceful people. Right? Does everybody remember that? Uh, we know anything but that is true. So we'll get into why that is. Um, All right, now I did not go through this with the men yet. So we're going to have to talk through which maps. I'll just, you pull some up here and, and I'll tell you which ones I need. If you could, please, if you see um, the, the first map, uh, hold on, I would like to see first the map of the Nile River, if you could do that. Turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 18. So that's the Euphrates. Give me the Nile if you can. There we go. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Genesis chapter 15 and look at verse number... Oh, man, there's so much I want to read in here. Yeah, look at, look at verse number 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo... And horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for how long? Who is that? That was Egypt. They sojourned into Egypt for about 430 years before they were um, delivered by the hand of God and Moses and Aaron. Um, why did they go down into Egypt? Now, God prophesied that this would happen in Genesis chapter 15. But it happens long after this, right? Why did they go down into Egypt? Anybody remember? Because of the famine, right? And with, with what part of Abraham's family did that happen? Which one of his sons was it that... It was, yes, okay, yes. His, what would that be, great-grandson great or whatever? Um, okay, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the three... The, the, the three sons of the lineage, right? Or the three men of the lineage of, of, of uh, the Jewish race, all right? So, uh, with Jacob's sons, Jacob had how many sons? He had 12 sons, right? Okay, now, now we're there, all right? So, I, it was kind of a trick question. I didn't mean to trick you with that question. Um, so, it was, it was with Jacob's sons that, that a, a great famine happens, Right? So with Jacob's sons, a great famine happens. Now, we remember the whole story of Joseph. Joseph is, is, is cast into a pit. They're thinking about, call, uh, about killing him. Was it Reuben? I think Reuben might have been the one who said, look, don't kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit and try to figure out what to do with him. Uh, what a loving, uh, you know, I mean, at least he spared his life, right? But what a loving way to do it, you know, just throw him in the pit over there. Uh, and we'll think about this. So, um, so anyway, but, but this was all part of God's plan. Remember when uh, Joseph meets his family again in Egypt. He's the second in charge in Egypt because Joseph had been given visions by God to tell Pharaoh the, the, the interpretations of his dreams, right? So Joseph is elevated to the second in charge in, in the nation, and uh, he sees one of the visions of Pharaoh that God gives to Pharaoh, and that's another subject for another time. Uh, how in the world does God give a vision to a lost man? But he did. He gives a vision to a lost man who is leading a, a, a country in order for that lost man to have an interpretation by a saved man who has put his faith in God and that interpretation to be the, the, the saving grace, if you will, or the thing that saves the nations during that great famine, right? So because he had such wisdom in dreams, he's elevated to the second in charge. Now, we understand that the Bible tells us that as uh, Joseph passes off the scene and uh, Israel is still there, they're still in Egypt, then 
other leaders begin to come along who forget who Joseph is and they forget what was going on in the previous generations and Israel just kind of turns into a slave nation inside of Egypt, right? Okay, so they're there for about 430 years. Okay, so that was prophesied in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 13. Do you see that? All right, now verse number 14. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I what? And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. God judged them so greatly that Egypt has never been rebuilt to its former glory. God prophesied that that would happen, and that's exactly what happened. Are you with me? Verse number 15, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And that's another thing. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, look at verse number 18, this is important. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of what? Egypt unto the great river, the river what? Okay, so... First border that is discussed that God would give to, the, to Abraham's seed is the great river of Egypt, right? Now, we don't know any river in Egypt that was any greater than the Nile River. Okay? Are you with me? No, I don't have a pointer, but you can see that blue line that's ascending all the way up uh, there where you see the Mediterranean Sea. And it, it comes down in a couple of inlets. That's the Nile River. Okay? That's the great river of Egypt historically and still in modern day. Still considered to be the great river of Egypt, right? Much of Egypt's life and many of their great towns and cities and so on were built along that waterway. Are, are you with me? All right, so that's the first border. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, verse number 18, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all right? So the river of Egypt we believe to be the Nile River. I got, I got the terms mixed up. Now, if you could give me the Euphrates, if you would, please. All right, so now here is the Euphrates River. Now, you can't quite see it, but down here on the bottom, if you want to call it the southwest region, but the bottom left region of that map is kind of where the river Euphrates is. I'm sorry, the Nile River is in Egypt. And then, and then you see up here, the highlighted section that is the Euphrates River. Now that's the great river. It comes up into Turkey and all of this and into the regions of the mountains of Ararat and all, all that stuff. It's all kind of in that region over there. So this is the northern border of Abraham's promised land. Are you with me? The southern border is the river of Egypt that we know to be the Nile River. Are you with me? Now let's look at a couple of other things here. Don't change the map yet. Look at Judges chapter number 20. So, um, Israel, while they are, or, or after they have conquered the land of the promised land, the Canaan land, we get a couple of other borders and boundaries that are given to us to describe what their land looks like. Are you with me? All right, so, um, look at... Uh, Judges chapter 20 and verse number 1. Yeah. Judges chapter 20 and verse number 1. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man from Dan, even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead unto the Lord in Mizpah. Look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And look at verse number 20. Is it warm in here? It feels a little warm. Brother Andrew, could you just... Um, just flip the air on. What's the temperature at right now? The air is on? Okay. Let's cool it down 2 degrees to 68, please. It's so hot in here, I figured the heat was on, Brother David. So, All right. Uh, could you get this side for me as well, Brother Andrew? I didn't mention that. Thank you, sir. First Samuel chapter 3, and let's look at verse number 20. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. All Israel. All Israel. Right? You see that term? From what? From Dan to Beersheba. You see that? Now this is mentioned over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures. From Dan to Beersheba. Alright, so we get, we get two borders that are given to us um, when Abraham's um, 
land is promised to him, right? Now, obviously, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The, the, the three men there that are in the lineage of Israel, all right? So, uh, Abraham is the first. He is given some of the first borders, if you will. And then we're also given a couple of other borders as they go into the promised land and they take it. Now, here's what it will technically look like. If you could give me the map that kind of has a highlighted region of the Middle East and shows there. Okay. All right, so you see these four points on the map, yes? Okay, point number one is where ancient Dan would have been. Point number two is where ancient Beersheba would have been. Now, Interesting to note that those two points, they, they kind of generally give you a boundary for where modern Israel is located. Now, have you ever, I, I, I failed to do this, I, I, I wish I had thought to do it, but have you ever looked at a world map and then seen that little smidgen sliver of land where Israel is backed into over there? You can't even hardly read it. Okay, now, Technically, from Dan to Beersheba is kind of the borders of like the land of milk and honey. Are you with me? Now, the rest of this is the borders of the Euphrates River on the north. You see that kind of wandering northern line? That's, that's, that's technically the Euphrates River up there. Are you with me? And then you see over here, over where it says Cairo, point number three. That's the Nile River over there, the bordering Nile River. Now, if you just stopped at approximately where they crossed over the Red Sea and then, and then, and then wandered through the wilderness, you kind of get that straight line there that goes across that region. Are you with me? But let's say, let's say if you were to follow the Euphrates River all the way down to here, this is, this is down in the mouth of the, uh, what is this? Persian Gulf. So, it empties down here into this region, okay? And if you just take a, basically a straight line over to the Nile River, these are the boundaries that were, whoop, about died. Uh, these are the boundaries that were discussed by God when He first gave the promised land to Abraham. Are you with me? It's a pretty decent portion of that region of the Middle East that technically belongs to Israel. Not by some whim of man. By the God who created all of the earth. He didn't designate what America's boundaries look like. He didn't designate what Europe's boundaries look like. He didn't designate what Russia's boundaries look like. He designated one group of people. He said, these are my chosen people and this is their land. This is what it looks like. Now, there is, there is a lot of debate on whether or not that map is entirely accurate. It's just kind of a general idea of what it might look like. Are you with me? But the, the general understanding is that little sliver of land over there where Israel sits is not even a fraction of what belongs to them. Now, why is that important? Because the great debate today is that Israel doesn't own any land over there, that they are a nomad nation who never had claim to anything, and that technically the Palestinians had first claim to that land. So, um, you have any idea where the origins of the, the word Palestine come from? They come from Philistia. Where is Philistia? The Philistines. I don't know if it was back in Greek literature or if it was just Greek philosophers or historians or whatever, but the, according to the Greeks, it start, that term, the Philistia, Philistines, that, 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 that term Palestine is, according to some Greek historians, its origins come from Philistia. And one of the first times we see it popping up in, in, in history, I think is, you know what, I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not even going to go there. I, I didn't write that down. Um, but, but what do we know about the Philistines? Well, there's, there's this constant issue with the Philistines. I want us to look at a few passages here. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Okay, so, so that, if, if, if you want to say, generally speaking, that's more like what the land of promise should look like. Are you with me? Okay, now, um, I started getting ahead of myself with the Philistines. Okay, let's go back further. So, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 16. Now, I've referred to this a couple times in the last couple weeks, but I want us to see it. Genesis chapter 16, and let's look at verse number 1. Genesis 16 and verse number 1. Now, God had been promised by Abraham before this passage that he would give him a a family, a seed that would be blessed and would become a great nation, right? We saw that in Genesis chapter 12, yes? Now, Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah both are getting a little antsy. And we know the story, right? But let's look at it. Verse number 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian. A what? An Egyptian, whose name was what? Now, by my understanding, don't get mad at me, because I know this will be on YouTube too, and no doubt if, some, you know, if, if you have this discussion in the midst of preachers, some people will get, they'll get like mad at each other about some of these things. There, there, there are guys that passionately believe this stuff, and some who say the exact opposite. And I'm not, I'm not into arguing with, with all of that necessarily. This is just, when I study my Bible, this is what I see. You study it for yourself and you decide what you see. We don't have to hate each other. We don't have to argue over it. It's just, I'm just presenting you biblically what I see. Okay? Now, um, she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Now, if you look at the maps of the dispersion of, of, of um, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, for the most part, the Hamites, they, they, they seem to migrate southwest from the point that the ark rested in the mountains, plural of Ararat, not on the mountain of Ararat, which is another study all in itself that's very interesting. So um, when they migrated from there, they, they go southwest. Ancient Egyptians, from what we can tell, are not what we see as modern Egyptians. From, from what we can tell, modern, modern Egyptians are, are more of a mixed race that would include a little more of, of Ishmael's race. But in, in those days, many of the Egyptians would have probably been a lot more like the African race. More black in, in skin color and, and, and more like that. Is everybody okay? Now that's the part that if you, do, if you say that, that stuff in, you know, in some places, you, you, can, you, can, you can get hot debates over it. But just historically speaking, that's what I see. You study it for yourself. You decide. It's not all that important. It's just food for thought. So, Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee. And we know the story, right? We know what happens here. All right, so Abram takes Hagar, an Egyptian, who in my opinion, this is my opinion from the book of 2 Joshua, in, in my opinion, she probably would have been a little more black in color. Right? Now, you, you get a Jewish man and a probably a black handmaid from the regions of Egypt. They have a child. Out of that comes a red-skinned wild man known as Ishmael. And here's how we know this. Look at... Um, how far do I want to skip down? Verse number four, and he went into, into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And Let's skip down and look at verse number 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a what? Wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. 
For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And the, the, the Scriptures go on. Verse number 15, And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. So, skip over to Genesis chapter 17 and look at verse number 18. Is everybody still okay? All right, stay with me best you can. And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. You ought to go study the twelfth imam. I-M-A-M. Just write that down and look it up later. Um, Twelve princes, very interesting term. When you consider what Islam is still waiting for. Just, anyway, food for thought. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were brought, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son, and all the men of his house born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, and so on and so forth. So, um, I, I guess we didn't have to read all that. I thought that was leading to something else. I had written down verse number 26, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't come out that way. Um, now, we get into chapter 18. Uh, let's see here. Okay, no, I, I'm, I'm getting too deep down the hole here. We know that at one time, God promised that He would bless all of Abraham's seed, Right? Whoever is born of you, I'll bless him and make him a great nation, right? Well, Ishmael is born of Abraham. So God said, I will keep my promise. I will make of him a great nation. Twelve princes shall come out of him. But my covenant will be with Isaac. Are you with me? So God promised that he would bless his seed and let him become a great nation. And that's what you're seeing. You see Ishmael all over the Middle East. He's everywhere. He has a great nation. But he's a wild man. And God prophesied that that would be what kind of man he would be. He will be, a, look at Genesis 16, 12 again. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Ishmael is greatly blessed. His seed is greatly blessed. He is able to multiply greatly. That is part of God's blessing. But part of God's curse on him because he was an illegitimate child and not supposed to be the, the, the child of the covenant, the child of the promise, is that he would be a wild man and every man's hand against him and his hand against every man. And that is what we see going on in the Middle East constantly. Now, now remember, when Isaac has, has his birthday party, what goes on between Ishmael and Isaac? Does anybody remember? Is Ishmael mocking Isaac? And does Sarah become angry? Right? And says, get him out of here. Right? Is everybody okay? There has been tension between Isaac and Ishmael since the day Isaac was born. It's been going on since then. And he is a wild man. What other group of people do you know whether it's Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Iraq, Iran, all those regions. What other man do you know that walks into public places with bombs strapped to himself and blows himself up to get 72 virgins on his own planet? That's wild. How else can you describe that but wild? He's wild. He's always at odds with everybody in the world. They don't have peace with people. They don't even have peace with each other. All right, now, there's this tension that goes on between Isaac and Ishmael. Now, let's go to the 
Philistines. Okay? So, let me just give this to you instead of, instead of biblically, because we, we got we to, instead of looking at all the passages, because we, we got to hurry. Um, so when you look through the book of Judges and places like that, you see that God essentially, no, I can't skip this. Um, let me look this up real quick. I didn't write this one down, but I should have, so let me look it up real quick. Um, Look at uh, Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. Right now, these Philistines, best we can tell, they're Ishmael's family. Okay? Best we can tell, these are the Arab people, the Philistines. Now, there may be some uh, mixing going on there in the races, but Joshua chapter 13, look at verse number 2. Joshua's old and stricken in age. and Verse number 2, this is the land that yet remaineth, all the borders of the Philistines and all Geshurai, from Sior, which is before Egypt, even under the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, the what? Wait, 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 wait. The what? The Ga- Gazeth? Huh? Does that sound familiar? And the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites. God literally calls them out and says, this is yours. Now go take it. That's what he's telling him in Joshua 13. Are you with me? He's telling them. The Philistines, the Gazathites, they still own land that's yours. Go get it. Are you with me? There's your mandate right there. All right, now look, if you would please. um, Judges chapter 10. Now what ends up happening is Israel doesn't entirely cast out the Philistines. And it becomes a problem. Look at Judges chapter number 10. And look at verse number 6. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the... And forsook the Lord and served not him. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. You see that? Wait a minute. The Philistines comprise up a group called the Gazathites. Right? When God gets angry with Israel because they are going after the gods of other nations, which He told them would happen if they did not cast out all of the peoples of those regions in the Promised Land. He said, if you get there and you don't cast them all out, what's going to end up happening is your sons and daughters are going to start marrying each other, and then they're going, your sons are going to start worshiping their gods. Is that what He told them? And that's exactly what happened. So God becomes angry with Israel and says, all right, here you go. You didn't cast out the Philistines. You didn't cast out the you, you didn't cast out all of these ites. And you didn't cast out the Philistines. And here's what I'm going to do. Now, because your children are worshiping those gods, I am going to turn them against you. So there is a war going on here in Judges chapter number 10 and verse number 6 and 7, where the Philistines are named as somebody that God sold them into the hands of to have war with because of their rebellion against God. Are you with me? Now, what is going on in Israel? Now, remember the first 10-15 minutes of the service. Don't mistake what I'm about to say. What is going on in Israel is partially Israel's fault. Because they didn't do what God told them to do initially, cast everybody out of the promised land, and just inhabit it yourselves. They made some mistakes there. And then, because they started worshiping the gods of some of these nations, God turned these people against Israel at different times throughout Israel's history. Is everybody okay? Now, I did not just say that I believe that that the Palestinians are right. 
It's not what I just said. If that's what you just took away from that, you totally missed it. But we even find, as we get into the latter parts of the Old Testament, that God essentially says to His people, look, I'm casting you out of your land. And you're going to be scattered abroad among every nation. Are you with me? Because you didn't obey me and you worshipped other gods and I tried and 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 tried. And this is my judgment against you. He says, but one of these days, I will draw you back. And I'll give you your land back. Well, guess what happened in approximately the 1850s? In approximately the 1850s, Jews start flocking back to what became known as a region that never became a country of anybody that some today call the region of Palestine. There were multiple, read the history of Palestine, there were multiple conquerors who came through there and, and, and took this region and, and just did whatever they wanted with it, but it never became a country of anybody. And there's some suggestion there that maybe God was just hanging on to it for His people, not allowing anybody to really occupy it as a nation. Are you with me? Eventually, in approximately the 1850s, Jews start flocking back to that region. At the time, it's a wasteland. But they start cultivating the land. They start building it up a little bit. And then more Jews start coming back because they're seeing, wow, the land is fruitful again. So more Jews start coming in. Well, now Ishmael gets involved. The Arab nations around that region say, wait a minute, what was once, once desolate wilderness that bore no kind of fruit, now these Jews are over here and they're starting to cultivate the land again. It's starting to become fertile ground again. We want in on that. So Arabs start moving in too. And then this goes on for about 90 or so years. And in approximately 1948, then what happens? Israel is allowed to take that region and declare it their own country again. Yes? I say allowed. I mean, it's terrible for us to say that we allowed them to do so. It was theirs from the beginning. But it seems maybe, and it could have been happening before this or after this, but it seems maybe, historically speaking, around the 1850s or so, Jews start coming back. Was that God calling them back? I don't know. I don't know. Only God knows. Was that the time that God started calling them back? Was it in 1948 when they became a nation? I don't know, but I will tell you this, that in spite of all the wars and everything that have been going on over there, for quite some time, Jewish people from all across the world that had become residents of other nations, which God told him he would do, he said he'd scatter them abroad among all nations because of their wickedness against him. They all have been coming back by the droves into this war-torn little sliver of land. Is that part of God drawing them back? My personal opinion, you, you, you consider it for yourself. You, you study this out for yourself. But in my personal opinion, yes, I think it is. Now, what is going to end up happening? The eyes of the entire world are going to continue looking more and more and more at Israel. Because at some point, she will become the focal point of the entire world where the last battle will be fought. Right? So because of that, because of what we know in the book of Revelation, we know a couple of things are not going to happen. You're not going to wipe Israel out. God will keep himself a remnant. He promised that, right? Now, how long is all that going to be? Some people say that the generation of, uh, of, of people that, that were born from 1948 on will not pass before the Lord returns, and they tried to put together a number there and say, you know, so it has to happen before that 70 years is finished for the Lord to return and so on and so forth. I, I, I'm not sure, but aren't we past that now? You know, so, y'all, making predictions on what all this is and how the timing is going to work out has never been good. Only God knows the day and the hour. But it does seem that whether it started happening in 1850s, 1948, or some other time, there is this flocking of Israel coming back to their promised land. And in the last days, there has to be an Israel and there has to be a Jerusalem that is occupied by Jews for the world to focus on in order for there to be a last battle there. Right? So whatever is going on over there right now, could it be a setup for the Lord to return? Absolutely. Could He return right now? Absolutely. I don't know why He isn't here already. But... I don't know, could this go another 100, 200 years? Who knows? Who knows? But these battles between Isaac and Ishmael have been ongoing forever. 
This is not, not going to change any time soon. Did I send a map of modern Israel? Okay, so here's modern Israel. Can, as a matter of fact, can you go back to the one right before that? Okay, so we see the promised land. You see the two um, data points, Dan and Beersheba, number one and number two. These are essentially kind of really just where modern Israel is right now. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, it's close. All right, so you, you, see all, you see how surrounded he is by Ishmael, right? I mean, Ishmael has all this land. All this land. So now give me Israel again, if you would, please. All right, so this is modern Israel. All right, you see Beersheba right there, right above the, the word Israel? Okay. All right, all right, so... You see that, that shaded portion that's called the West Bank? Okay, so in an attempt to keep peace with the Arab nations and this group of people that say they have a right to that portion of the world, they call themselves Palestinians, but it's not technically a, it's not technically a country or an organized people, really. Um, they claimed that, that there would be peace in Israel if, if, if Israel would just give up the West Bank, Right? Has that worked? No peace in Israel by giving up the West Bank. So Israel gave up so much more of their land, and they kind of try to co-dwell in the West Bank there with, with Arabs, right? So you see Jerusalem here. Now, Isaac doesn't even, he doesn't even have possession technically of Jerusalem, right? Uh, in, in Jerusalem, you've got the Dome of the Rock, and you've got all of these other Arab um, landmarks, Yes? Is it, do, do we know what the Dome of the Rock is? Anybody know what that is? Like what's in there? <laughs> so there was some, supposedly, according to uh, Muslim religion or whatever, history or whatever, I don't know, supposedly some like, meteorite came down to the earth and it was, you know, I don't know, and they worship it. Um, <laughs> so that's the West Bank. Well, that didn't bring peace. All right, now, where is all the fighting going on? I don't, I don't have a pointer, but I wish I, I, wish I could find something. Do you see, can, can you see from your position this little brown shaded area over by the southwestern side of the Mediterranean Sea? You see that? That's called the Gaza Strip. All right? Now, that's, that's, that's where this attack happened uh, a little over a week ago now. Supposedly, if Israel would just give up the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, there would be peace in the region. So they did. And Jewish people tried to co-inhabit, cohabit um, with, with Muslims there in the Gaza Strip. And how this all happened, I don't know, but there was an election that took place, I don't, was it 20 years ago or something like that, where Hamas was voted in, technically in the... In the Gaza Strip as kind of the ruling authority in that region. Hamas is a terrorist organization. And so when you're hearing stories that this land doesn't belong to Israel and that if they would just give up what has always belonged to Palestine, okay, Palestine is just a word. It's just a term that is used to kind of describe a region that these ancient Philistines believe still belongs to them. But it was given to God's people by God Himself. And that is their land. It belongs to them. And so the Gazathites are still kind of hanging out over there. And they're saying, well, the Gaza Strip is ours. And if you give that to us, we'll have peace. But then from the Gaza Strip and from the West Bank, and, or excuse me, from the Gaza Strip are constantly these attacks coming in from the Arab nations. They're constantly fire, firing rockets in. They're constantly trying to um, get Israel into a fight. They're constantly trying to destroy Israelites. And make no, make no mistake, the Islamic religion has no peace if you are a non-believer, which they call an infidel. According to their book, if you are an infidel, you're supposed to be purged from the earth. And do you know what Hamas has been chanting and what their groups have been chanting? One of the things that they've been saying, among many others. And y'all, I've seen videos of what's going on over there, and, and you have too, but, but, uh, and, and pictures and images and so on. And, and 
when this attack first started, it was a coordinated effort where there were rockets being fired into the Gaza Strip and even into other parts of Israel. And then there was this coordinated ground attack that took place going into people's homes and shooting families and torturing people for no good reason. But they'll tell you that Israel is the one that has um, spurred all of these things on and it's all their fault. This, this hospital that supposedly was bombed by Israel, Israel says it wasn't bombed by us. The Arab nations have this tendency to use children as their shelter. And they're, they're wild. He's a wild man. And so they use, they use schools inhabited by children to store munitions, bombs, and, and supplies. They use hospitals to store munitions and bombs and supplies. And, and reports are coming out now that, that it, it's believed that there may have been bombs and munitions and things stored by the Arabs, by Hamas, in that hospital. And that's why it went up the way it did. And that it was not a rocket that was fired by Israel, but it was a rocket that was fired somewhere from the regions that are being fought and occupied by Hamas in order to try to get the world to turn against Israel, it's believed they may have blown up their own hospital. Is everybody listening? And whether or not that's true, it doesn't even really change the fact that this is God's people, this is their land, and you're not going to have peace if you give up that little strip. So what has Benjamin Netanyahu said? He essentially came out and said he gave the Israelites, the Jewish people, what? Was it 24 hours or something like that? Or three days or something like that to vacate the Gaza Strip? He said, get out. Because we are going to attack it with full force. Right? And Hamas wouldn't let him out. Why do you think that would be? They're supposed to be the peaceful people, right? They're the ones seeking peace, right? Well, they didn't peacefully let a whole bunch of Jewish people out. But now we're kind of in this holding pattern right now where the Prime Minister of Israel has said, we're going in there and we're going to take care of business. And y'all, should this continue to be a cohabitation between Israel and Hamas? In my opinion, no. It's not going to help anything. Um, they ought to be able to go in there and clear it out and just take it over for themselves. Whether that happens or not, it'll probably largely depend on what, what the Americans do and, and, and what Israel's allies do. But let's go back, if we could please, to the beginning of this whole thing. And I guess we'll close here. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 one more time. Did I have any other slides that we didn't use? Okay, that was all of them. All right, thank you, sir. Look at verse number... Um, one. Let's just read the whole passage. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Listen to me. I believe firmly as I started this little study this evening, I want to close it with this thought. I believe firmly that every Christian should be in firm support of Israel because they are God's chosen people. And there is no room for debate about that. And so how do we do that? Certainly pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but that's going to come when Jesus shows up. And boy, do we want that to happen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, certainly. Pray for the people in Israel. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray for our country to back them up. As these elections are coming, pay close attention to who supports Israel and who doesn't. Can we stop the tide of what is going to happen prophetically? No. But do I ever want to be on the side of anybody who is anti-Shemite? No. And every one of us needs to be aware of who we're voting for and why we are voting for them. Make sure you know who supports who and, and what. And, you know, this whole Speaker of the House thing that's, that, that's going on, I'm not getting into all the politics of all that. I want to just stick with this. But um, 
we need somebody in leadership in the President's office, in Congress, in Senate. We need people in leadership who will be a friend to Israel. And that should never change. So pray for them, yes. Support them in every way that you can, yes. Make sure that you stay informed about what's going on over there. If you hear reports of things that are going on and they try to make Israel into the bad guy, most of the time the roots of all of that are coming from the Islamic nations that control different parts of our airwaves and they're doing everything in their power to spin every bit of news that comes out. Even if it is an American-born citizen on CNN or Fox who's saying that we ought to try to figure things out between Palestine and Israel. I don't, care. I don't care what news station they're on. If they are in any way suggesting that there can be peace with Hamas or anybody else, don't listen to them. This is not going to end until the Lord returns and finally liberates His people and gives them their promised land back. Which will look a lot bigger than that. And thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please bless this teaching time and help us to understand what is going on in the world and how these things are all going to shape up. Lord, I pray that You would help us to always have a burden and a desire to protect Israel. And Lord, may we continue to love Your people. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can look up this way. Um, you know what? No, I, I want to have one type of invitation. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I would not be able to live with myself if we didn't do this. Is there anybody, heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody here tonight that would say, Preacher, if I were to die today, I do not know if I'm on my way to heaven. God has been working on my heart, and I am not sure I'm on my way to heaven. But I want to get it settled. Would you slip your hand in the air? I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that? Anybody at all? All right, I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, preacher, if I were to die right now, I do not know if I'd go to heaven. But I sure would like to know. I want to get it settled. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up and put it back down. Anybody else? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that during this invitation time that you would help us, please, to respond to the leading and moving of your Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We've had somebody that's raised their hand unsure of their salvation. It's hard to come to an altar all by yourself. So I'm going to encourage you to do this. Maybe in the midst of what was largely a biblical history lesson, God spoke to your heart about something else. That's how the Holy Spirit works. It, it could be anything. You might be under conviction about a sin. You might have received comfort about something. The Holy Spirit can speak to us in ways that the preacher doesn't. You might have something to, to pray about this evening that God spoke to your heart about. Or you may just want to come and, and, and pray for Israel and the things that are going on there. Pray for your country. Pray for, for the support of Israel. I think it would be a good thing for all of us to pray for the things that are going on over there, to pray for, for, for the peace of Israel and for the peace of Jerusalem. So I'm going to ask some of you maybe to come and pray this evening. If the Lord laid something on your heart or just pray for Israel and the things that are going on there, for wisdom for our leaders, for protection for God's people. And it would make it a lot easier if there are some in our midst that don't know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Let's have the music begin to play and let's all stand to our feet. And while you're standing, why don't you come and let's pray together this evening. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, then why don't you come and speak to the Lord about that. If you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, why don't you come and get that settled tonight? It sure would be good. There is no bad time to have your soul settled. Don't allow embarrassment or anything else to keep you from getting it taken care of this evening.